Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone today. It, uh, it was over 40 years ago that Colette and I left uh, Shawnee County, Kansas, which is over the county Topeka is in, and uh, we moved to Joplin to go to, at the time it was called Ozark Bible College. And it was the fall semester that year, the fall of 1979, that I met a young Haitian man uh, by the name of Roro. That's what he was known by and, and uh, all of his friends to this date all these years later know of him as Roro. His full name, I think, is Rosalind, Rosalind Ustashi. And uh, he played soccer. He broke his leg. Uh, there, the fall semester of our freshman year, he was a freshman as well, and and uh, and apparently, I uh, was the student that uh, the administration, you know, saw as having the majority of the same classes as Roro, and so they approached me to see if I would do some tutoring because it was a bad break and he missed quite a bit of school and and uh, classwork and. And, uh, uh, and so it was the, from that time moving forward that Roro and I have had a good relationship, a solid relationship for over 40 years. And I share that to say that in 1985, Roro went back to Haiti after I think he did some additional schooling up at Lincoln Christian College and seminary. And, uh, uh, he went back to Haiti and he started a church in Port-au-Prince in their capital. And uh, after having started that, uh, not too long later, he started another church. And uh, eventually he, he uh, named it into a ministry, HCO, Haitian Christian Outreach. And over the last 40 years, um, they have started 10 new churches, six schools, and one hospital, and uh, Roro's really, he's a go-getter, and uh, we have a number of people here in the church that have had the opportunity to be on a mission trip down there, um, you know, if you're ever wanting to sweat 24 hours a day, you know, and shed a few pounds in a week, a mission trip to Haiti, nothing can substitute for that, so, uh, um, but we've had several people here in the church that have gone to Haiti on a mission trip and, and with uh, Roro's ministry and all. And, uh, and it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. And I share that to say that in regards to some of the stuff that Kurt said a moment ago about if you want to additionally support some of the, hur uh, the earthquake relief uh, down in Haiti, uh, HCO is a trustworthy ministry. I would totally stand behind that. And uh, uh, it, it, it would be money that would be used for the very purposes that you intend for it to be used for, okay? So just, just as a, an added thought, I would throw that in there. Well, here we are. Um, we are at the very tail end of August 2021. And if I'm thinking of my calendar correctly, we are quickly approaching the 17, 17th month of the coronavirus, almost a year and a half of this thing that's been going on. 
And uh, I just got a simple question for you today. Anybody in here tired of it yet? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if some of you aren't, we could probably extend it a few months. So, yeah, I mean, in this, you know, and it's not just being tired of the coronavirus and, and what it represents, but it's even the terminology. You know, just hearing the terminology all the time. Stuff like social distancing and face masks and distance learning and quarantining and, and all of this kind of stuff. In fact, one of the phrases that has been used, and it started being used way back in the very, very beginning, in the first month. And, and so if you heard it then, you've heard it dozens of times, I would assume, in the last year and a half. But it's this phrase, we're all in this together. Now, it seems like a pretty harmless phrase you know, we're all in this together. But I don't know about you, but I, I read that and I just get tired of it. I wish that phrase would go away. You know, it's another one of those, those phrases, the terms that are used there. However, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little hesitant to pull that trigger because when I look at that phrase from the perspective of faith, I've got to acknowledge it's actually quite biblical. It is very very much so biblical. You know, as far as the pandemic goes, I'm tired of it, but the phrase itself viewed from a perspective of faith and from a biblical perspective holds a lot of truth to it because, because according to what the Bible teaches, faith, genuine faith, has never been a me thing. It's always been we. It's always been that way. As a matter of fact, when you look in the Bible and you see when the birth of the church took place, it's Acts chapter 2. Peter had shared a message on that day and there was a big response to his message. And verse 41 of that chapter captures, you know, the response. It says, then those people who accepted what Peter said were baptized. About 3,000 people were added to the number of believers that day. So the church began with a bang. But what was the church doing then in the early days? You know, as they were kind of getting their feet underneath them, what was the church doing? Well, that's what the next five verses you know, break it down for you. And when you look at the next five verses, there is something that clearly stands out in the text, and that is this togetherness factor. In verse 44, it says, all the believers were together. Verse 46, it says, they continued to meet together in the temple courts and in their homes. Why the temple courts? Well, they didn't have any kind of a place or facility or whatever. They could all meet together. If, if they were all with that number, if they were all going to meet together, it would have to be out in some open area. However, there was one place that was large enough to house them all, and that was the temple courts. So when they all wanted to meet together, the believers, in one place, they went to the temple, and they met in the courts. But otherwise, in smaller settings... They had certainly availability of their own homes, and they were meeting in their homes. But the point of the matter is they were spending time together. And you know, that really isn't that surprising. Because when, when I made a decision and accepted Christ, when you made that all-important 
decision and accepted Christ, three relationships changed. One, Jesus became your Savior. Two, God became your Father. And when you made that decision, three, I became your brother in Christ. And you became my brother, my sister in Christ. And, and so it's not surprising that there was this togetherness factor that was happening. Now, it's not always been a popular thing. In fact, we're living in a day and time when uh, uh, people kind of view, you know, matters of religion and faith, stuff like that, you know, as being a, a very much a private matter. I remember a number of years ago, I was doing some door-to-door -door knocking, you know, in various communities here in in uh, Shawnee and I don't remember exactly the house that I was at the door of but I know the approximate area it was over on the north side of Johnson Drive and on the east side of Nolan Road and I was right over there and I went up to a house and I knocked on the door and a lady answered the door and I introduced myself and I asked her could I ask you three or four brief questions and she said, yes, you can. And I said, first question, do you, you and your family regularly go to church? And it was at that moment she took that as an invitation to unload on me. <laughs> Man, she was irritated. You know, and she started raising her voice and she started talking about how this was none of my business and I shouldn't be sticking my nose in, in private affairs because that is something very personal that doesn't involve anyone else. And, and I was just like a deer in the headlights, just standing there and listening to this. And of course, I mean, the wheels are turning in my head and I'm kind of wondering, wow, what is creating this kind of anger, you know? Uh, under the surface but I wasn't going to ask her that question <laughs> I was done asking questions so I apologized for bothering her and and uh, left her house and went continued on and went to a neighbor's house but you know that particular um, attitude uh, existed at the time that I was going around asking questions, but if anything, it's only been on the increase since then. A lot of people see it as being a very private, a very personal thing, but the reality of the matter is, it is not a private thing. You see, what the Bible teaches us is that relationships are the lifeblood of the church. And when our relationships are healthy and thriving, that's when the church comes alive as God intended for it to. But when these relationships fall by the wayside, or maybe even I should say, when these relationships are forced to the wayside, then a critical dynamic in the life of the church fails to play out. And the repercussions that play into that play out as well. And that's part of what this series is all about. Is, is talking about this sense of community and how, how we need to get back to being the community that God designed for us to be. And the coronavirus, boy, that's done a number on that because it's created distance, you know, because uh, of so many people, you know, you remember back in the early days, you know, no one really knew exactly how far this virus was going to extend or what the ramifications were associated with it. And so there was so 
many unanswered questions and uncertainty about it. And even the times that we were given answers, you know, they were given in such a way you really didn't know if they knew what the real answers were that they were giving. And so it's understandable that back in the early days, especially, people were very cautious and social distancing was a part of all of this. But uh, the thing is, if that continues to play out, you know, indefinitely into the days and months to come, there's going to be a price that's going to be paid as far as the church is concerned. And that's why we need to talk about this. We need to talk about the church being the community that God intended for it to be. And it's not just because of the coronavirus and what all's happened in the last 17 months. There were several studies that preceded all of that happening back in uh, the spring of uh, 2020. Several studies in a row that, that indicated that many adults were acknowledging that they struggled with loneliness every week. If anything, that was only on the increase. You think about it, we live in a culture that we are more connected in some respects more than ever before because of technology, but people have never felt more alone than what they feel right now. Some of you don't need an explanation there because, boy, you can relate to that because you've experienced that for yourself personally. So let me take you to a passage of Scripture that I want us to take a look at. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take a step back from that passage and have a wider angle view of it. And then we're going to take a second step back and have even a wider angle view of that passage in order to appreciate what it is that the Bible, what's trying to be communicated to us. This is the passage. And it represents, for all intents and purposes, the backdrop of this four-part series that we're starting here today. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23, 24, and 25. And it says this, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Whenever the scripture, whenever you're reading this in the New Testament and there's multiple passages that refer to the day with the definite article the or sometimes that day will be used. Whenever you're reading that in the New Testament, it's talking about the end times, it's talking about Judgment Day, okay? So it says that everything that, that preceded it is to be happening all the more, only in an increasing way as we get closer and closer to the big day. So let's break it down and look at it a little bit. Initially, what you're seeing on the screen, that's verse, that first sentence, that is verse 23. And it uses the word unswervingly. We are to hold unswervingly. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not a word I use very frequently in my vocabulary. Why don't you try it this week? Use it at least three times every day in your conversations, unswervingly. You know, it'll probably be a bit of a challenge unless you keep repeating yourself. 
Uh, it's not a word that we typically use. And, and the kind of image that it conjures up in my mind gives me a flashback back to the days when my boys were teenagers and I was teaching them to drive. And that was my goal is that they would drive unswervingly. <laughs> we'd stay away from the curb. We'd stay away from oncoming traffic. We'd kind of drive in a straight line. But this passage obviously isn't talking about driving a car. If we have made a commitment to Christ, our goal should be to maintain a consistent walk with Jesus. And that is what that verse is drawing reference to. And that is something that all of us should be doing, right? But how? How do we ensure that that continues? Well, that's what this passage is all about. So let's continue. Verse 24 is the next sentence as we go through what some people have referred to as being God's lettuce patch. Because if you'll notice, there are multiple times the words let us, let us this, let us that is found here. So, yeah, some of you, you won't remember anything else and you'll remember that stupid remark. All right, so uh, here's the second sentence of it. It says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Spur one another on. You know, I don't know today, you know, how often people, um, you know, watch old westerns. Um, maybe that's not a big thing. Although I did have a couple people, you know, catch me out in the hallway saying, oh, man, and they, they mentioned the westerns they'd watch us this week. So, so I know some of it happens, but uh, I grew up during an era when, when uh, westerns, I mean, that was a big thing. And there were some good ones, the good, the bad, and the ugly right? Once upon a time in the West, one of the best Westerns ever made. But one of the things about these Westerns is you'll see these cowboys walking around, and maybe better stated, you'll hear these cowboys walking around, and you'll hear this jingling going on because of their spurs. You know, they're walking on the boardwalk of this old town, you know, and everything's made out of wood there, and, and their spurs are jingling. I mean, cowboys, you know, they can't sneak up on each other because of those spurs. Well, what's the purpose of those spurs? To make life miserable for a horse? No, it's not to make their life miserable. The fact of the matter is, horses, their hide is tough. And, and you're not going to be hurting a horse with spurs. It's, it's basically tickling creating a little tickling in the ribs of the horse to help promote the giddy-up in that horse, to promote some action there. Well, and in that sense, that's how this terminology is being used in this passage, except it's not talking about a horse, it's talking about fellow believers. It's saying, let us consider, meaning let's put our mind, let's set our mind on this, let's really think this through, because the reality of the matter is, what might work to spur one person on isn't exactly the same thing that's going to work for another person, so you really need to think it through, give it some careful thought. But the end goal here is that we spur people on. The New Testament was originally written in Greek, and this word that is translated spur 
only appears one time in the entire New Testament, and you're looking at it right in this passage. It means to beg. It means to invite, to urge, to nag. You know, all of those meanings are wrapped up in this word. What this passage is saying is that we are to give fellow believers a gentle kick in the seat of the pants as far as their faith is concerned. I mean, that's basically what the spirit of this passage is all about. Understand something, this isn't a passage that is, serves as just an instruction manual for pastors. Okay, although there's some relevance and some, some notes for pastors to take. This isn't a passage that's just written to church leaders, although church leaders ought to have their ears open so they hear it and follow up with it. That, uh, the truth of the matter is this is a passage that is written to all believers, all Christians. It has relevance. So all of us should sit up and listen to what's being said. And basically, the spirit of what is found in verse 24 immediately causes me to remember a passage that, that I fairly frequently throw around, and that is Proverbs 27, verse 17, where it says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And that is a role that you and I are to play with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to do what we can do to help one another keep our edge spiritually. Well, there's another verse in this passage, and that's verse 25. It goes on and says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. And all the more, as you see that day, the big day approaching. Encouraging one another. The word here is parakaleo. It is a word that is found like a uh, hundred times or so in the New Testament. So, so this is far from being the isolated one time that the word is in Scripture. This one is found in a bunch of passages of Scripture. It's a first cousin, if you want to use that terminology, to the word parakletos. And that's a word that I have used more regularly up here. Jesus, on the night before um, his crucifixion, he was talking to his disciples and explaining to them he wasn't going to leave them as orphans, but he's talking about the Holy Spirit, the promised spirit that was going to come. And in passages like John chapter 14, he uses the word parakletos in reference to the spirit that would come to us. And uh, um, sometimes it's translated in our English translations as counselor, sometimes as helper, which I favor that word probably the most as far as a translation of it. But literally what it means is one called alongside to help. The Holy Spirit is one who has been called alongside to help us in living the Christian life. And so in a manner of speaking, what is happening here in Hebrews chapter 10 is it's saying that we all play a role to a certain extent of being one who comes alongside to help and to encourage, to promote to spur on people, Christians living the Christian life. It was never intended that we as Christians live in isolation from one another. We need one another. If the Bible tells us anything at all, it tells us that we are in this 
together. We are to help one another along the way. Once in a while, you'll hear someone say, well, I don't know. I don't know about going to church. I don't think I'll go. Well, I won't go this week. I don't get anything out of it. Have you ever heard that kind of terminology used? Maybe that kind of terminology even fell from your own lips. I don't get anything out of it. And sometimes when people say that, they're thinking of the music. Sometimes they're thinking about the message. Sometimes they're thinking about the investment of time. Sometimes they're thinking about all the above. And they say, I don't get anything out of it. Well, the reality of the matter is that if you're a believer and you're saying something like that, you're calling yourself out. Because it's not all about you getting something out of it. You, it's about you giving, you putting something into it. And that's what this passage in Hebrews chapter 10 is talking about. That you have a responsibility, I have a responsibility. It's not just for a pastor or pastors or a few handful of leaders to be the ones who are contributing it all and everyone else is on the receiving end. That is not a biblical concept. We all are to be giving. We all are to be contributing to the lives of our fellow brothers and sisters. But this verse, it is presenting to us what very well serves as a wrench that gets thrown into the mix and prevents the dynamic that God wants to happen from happening let me show you by underlining the part I'm talking about. The first part of verse 25. In the middle of talking about how we, you know, should hold unswervingly and how we should really think through how to spur one another on and we should be encouraging one another. In the middle of all of that, there's this statement. Let us not give up meeting together as some are. Now, there very well could be a variety of reasons why, why some initially stopped meeting together. Maybe they got really sick. You know, my, my uh, um, junior year in high school, you know, I got mono. And uh, up until that point in time, you know, any sickness I thought I had, you know, uh, really wasn't much of a sickness. But when you, I got mono... And for a period of two weeks, absolutely everything that I ate had to be in a blender because my throat was so swollen, there was hardly any opening to swallow anything. I was so sick during that time. And so, yeah, I missed a couple, three weeks of school. And so, yeah, it, it's very well possible that as someone gets sick and they, they miss one, two, three, maybe even four Sundays. That's very well possible, but unfortunately what can end up happening as a result of all that is it becomes a habit. And that's what the right after the phrase I have underlined goes on to say, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. It's become a habit. It very, very well could be a number of other matters. You know, is that, that people think that, well, um, you know, I, I have to work overtime. You know, and so here there's, there's, you know, two, three Sundays I need to be working. And then before you know it, it becomes a habit. 
and you no longer find yourself going and being a part of the fellowship with others. And that's what this passage is, is warning about. That's the danger. Because you're not going to be able to spur people on. You're not going to be able to encourage people if you're not there. You need to be there, or as the case might be, you need to be here. That's a big reason why this togetherness factor matters that the Bible is talking about. Now, if we don't get together, whether it be in the big setting sort of ways like the temple courtyards, what Acts chapter 2 said, or in homes in smaller types, if we don't get together, then how is all this dynamic that is being talked about in this passage going to play out? Well, you say, you know, it's social media and stuff like that. You know full well that doesn't work the same. That doesn't work the same. It's, it's better than nothing, but it still doesn't work the same way. Why does all of this matter? Why is this a passage that carries with it some, some significant importance? Well, to answer that, let me take a step back. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, but now we're going to look at it from a little bit wider of an angle. Instead of just looking at these three verses, let's back up and let's look at the entire book of Hebrews. Because this is smack dab in the middle of Hebrews, and it's like everything around it is reinforcing it. Let me take you all the way back toward the beginning of Hebrews. Chapter 2, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says this, For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Let me just say this. You know, for what it's worth, if that was not a danger, drifting away, you know, from our faith, if that was not a danger, that verse would not be in the Bible. That verse is in the Bible for a very good reason. It is a danger we need to be aware of and we need to stay on top of. Here we have Jewish uh, Christians people from Judaism that were converted to Christianity, but now they're kind of drifting back and they're falling back into their old ways. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing and he's saying, whoa, 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 what you're doing here? You got to pay more careful attention to what we've heard, namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. You got to be paying more careful attention to this so that you do not drift away. All right, but that's not an isolated verse. Just turn the page, you go to chapter 3, verse 12, and it says, Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. So the previous verse we just looked at talked about the danger of drifting away, but now you see what the danger is and how significant it is. It's talking about falling away. So how dangerous can drifting be? Well, there's your answer in chapter 3, verse 12. In fact, you look at the very next verse that is found in the text, and you'll see the tie-in to, to Hebrews chapter 10 and what it is that we're talking about. In verse 13, it goes on and says, right after it says that, it goes on and says, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see, it's talking about the very same thing that Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23, 24, and 25 is talking about. 
there's a theme that's going on here in the book of Hebrews. Let's go to the next chapter. Chapter 4, verse 1. It says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. Okay, now there's something that's happening in the context here. He's, he's, he's comparing, he's creating a, a comparison here about our eternal rest in the promised land of heaven, but he's talking about way back when the Israelites got freed up from bondage in Egypt. Remember, they wandered around and they were going to the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land that flowed with milk and honey. But yet a lot of those people, that whole generation, didn't make it into the promised land because of their rebellion, because they were testing the Lord. It was the younger generation that actually made it in there. And basically what the writer of Hebrews is saying is that that was a foreshadowing, that was a type of the ultimate rest, the eternal rest in the promised land of heaven. And, and so it's talking about, oh boy, be careful you don't fall short of it. So you see the flow of thought here, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, and it continues on. And as you're going through Hebrews, you come to the chapter that we were focused on early on, Hebrews chapter 10. But even in that chapter, I mean, it's a left-right combination because later in that same chapter, he goes on and drives it home even harder. He says this in verses 35 and 36 of chapter 10. It says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. That's a big part of the theme here. You need to persevere. That stick to You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you'll receive what is promised. You see, it's a theme that's found all through the book of Hebrews. You can even look at uh, Hebrews chapter 12 which I didn't take the time to look and see if that was on your outline. Um, Hebrews 12, is it? Yes, okay, good, because I didn't. I, it's on the outline, but it never made my notes for some reason. So um, Hebrews chapter 12, the first couple of verses says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and it's talking about all the people, the hall of fame of faith of chapter 11. We're set, surrounded by all this great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. There's the word again. Perseverance, the race that's marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We need to stay focused. And that's part of the overall message that's found all through the book. You've got to be focused because as soon as you start losing your focus on the Savior, on Jesus, then the likelihood of getting tangled up in sin and that pulling you down increases. And so you see there's an entire theme that is being developed here. So looking again at our main passage, it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another. And all the more as you see 
the day approaching. And what I would like to encourage you to do in order for this to really make some relevant sense in your mind is I would encourage you to not look up here, but look around you. Look at the people that are sitting around you. Even turn around and look at the people behind you. I give you permission to do that. I, I was taught as a kid that that's one thing you never do in church. You never turn and look behind you. Okay, all right. Sorry, Dad, but I'm giving them permission. Turn and look at people. And the faces that you're seeing, this is your mission. This is your calling, should you choose to accept it is to engage in community with these people and to help them through your example and through your encouragement in their faith. That's what Hebrews 10 is talking about. That is the calling that we have. Now, as I look at things, I'm thinking, okay, it should be ready for conclusion now. But I said earlier I was going to take two steps back, and I've only taken one so far. So let's take one more step back as we look at Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to show you, I'm going to perhaps for some of you introduce you to kind of a phenomenon that's found in the New Testament that is intriguing. I don't think anyone has spoken up and volunteered to lead a small group on this, but it would be an interesting small group study. And I'm talking about the one another's of Scripture. There's a whole ton of one another's. Again, it's about 100 times, you know, throughout the New Testament. Some Bible translations use the terminology one another, like the ones I'm using here. Other ones may say each other, but it's this, the same word that is found in all these passages. Romans chapter 12, and all of them are speaking to Christians, believers. And it says in Romans 12, be devoted to one another. Galatians 5, serve one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage one another. Colossians 3, admonish one another. 1 Peter 1, love one another. And like I said, there's like a hundred of these, so we could go a long time. But let me just show you one more slide. Galatians 6, bear one another's burdens. 1 Thessalonians 5, build up one another. Ephesians 4, forgive one another. 1 Corinthians 12, care for one another. James 5, pray for one another. They're all over the place in the New Testament. All over the place. In a world that is retreating from face-to-face -face relationships, God calls us to come together and do some one-anothering with one another. This, this is our calling as believers. This is what community looks like. All of these different verses and what they're saying. This is what real, genuine community looks like. There is a special inter interpersonal dynamic that is to occur within the Lord's church. And that's what these passages like Hebrews chapter 10 and all of these one another's, this is what they're speaking about. So here's your challenge. I want to challenge you to come on any given Sunday to come as a man on a mission or as a woman on a mission. You come 
with the intention of spurring someone on. Now, it doesn't mean wear something sharp on the heel of your boot. And so, you know, I'm not saying that, all right? Although with a couple people, that might be needed. Um, but, uh, but come as, as a person on a mission that you are going to bring encouragement, that you are going to be spurring. You're going to take that role where you're not just on the receiving end of things, but you're actually going to be contributing to the life of the church, the interaction of the church. You're going to be following through with God's word of instruction on this. You may need to give it some thought. You may need to come 10 minutes early in order to accomplish this. You may need to stick around 10 minutes longer than what you normally do on a Sunday to accomplish this. But come as a person on a mission. And the second word of challenge that I want to give you is I want, want to encourage you to start praying about being a part of a small group. You know, we, we, are, we are kicking off a, a new, this is always in September, it's always our big, bigger season of small groups. We kind of push it again in January. We push it again at the beginning of the summer. Um, but, but it's always at the beginning of the school years when, when we really plug it. This has been a value in this church for a long time. You know, our church is 20-some years old. And I, I still remember we were only three months old when we started having small groups. And some would argue we were a small group at that time. We started having small groups. But we had three small groups that we started with when we were only three months old. And it's something that we have been promoting and encouraging people to do, you know, all through the years. Because there is a dynamic that cannot happen in settings like this that needs to happen within the life of the church body, within the church family. And that dynamic is better suited in happening in smaller settings. And so that's why we, we've been promoting small group involvement. Now, all of that kind of took a hit over the last 17 months because of COVID. In fact, in, in the last year or so, I don't know, did we have maybe two or three small groups that were meeting, you know? And I know the, the one I was leading was Zoom. But for the most part, we didn't have small groups going now for almost a year and a half, generally speaking. And, and that's why I say it's, it's time to get back together. Again, it's time to reestablish these connections and the dynamic that is so important in the lives of Christians. So those are your challenges. I want to encourage you to be praying about. You know, Kurt talked about the small groups and the flyers out in the entry area. You, you can pick that up, but I'd encourage you to go to the website too because there's a little bit more detail on the website. Um, namely, what I'm thinking about is who the leader is of the small group. So if you have any question at all in regards to what is this group studying or what's their format, what are they going to do, you have an email address you can communicate with. And if you don't have email, then call the office and we'll give you a phone number, you know, where you can actually talk to the leader of these groups in, in helping you to discern which one to get plugged into. But, but it, it's important in your own life. But it's also important for your brothers and sisters that you be a part of the mix. Okay? All right, that's the challenge. 
And so I want to conclude this with prayer, and then we got a couple of important things we're going to do here before we're finished this morning. All right, would you bow with me in prayer? Father, I am so grateful for your word and how your word speaks relevance to us. Um, The words, the verses that we've looked at today um, held meaning um, and communicated important instruction nearly 2,000 years ago. But here we are, you know, on the heels of a pandemic, and, and they hold meaning, and they're certainly relevant. And Father, I, I pray that, that through your Spirit, you would give us ears to hear and a willingness to respond according to what it is that your Word is saying. Might we not deceive ourselves in being hearers only. Thank you, Lord, for for giving us the privilege of being a part of your church and help us to be a meaningful part of it. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.